1: well, good morning everyone. Uh, it's so good to see all of you who are here with us in person. want to welcome those of you who are joining us online as well. Um, and we are in our Both and series, as Thomas mentioned in the video. Now, I want to give a quick uh, heads up, I guess, in the beginning of the sermon this morning, is that uh, the past... So two weeks ago, I started feeling a little under the weather. Uh, And I want to thank those of you in this service who sent me what that meant. I got a couple of texts like, here's what under the weather means. And I appreciate that. Um, And so I found out it's because when you're, you guys don't need to know this. Um, It's when you guys are, uh, when there were sailors who were feeling sick, they would go underneath the bow and that way they'd be, anyways. Okay, so under weather. So everyone's like, what's happening? So uh, I wasn't feeling very well. that previous week, and then I also kind of took a downturn after um, our Sunday morning services. So by Monday of this previous week, I was also not feeling well. And so I'm going to grab a seat today. I'm not going to be as, um, like, ebullient and gregarious today. And those are my words of the day that I got done by 10.50, so I feel good about that. Um, But we're going to be able to to unpack this uh, passage and this message this morning as we look at Matthew chapter 12. Because what we're looking at today is we've been taking the past couple of weeks to look at Advent themes through this context and through this lens of how something of both and and. And the idea behind this was acknowledging that in this Christmas season, there are both wonderful things and painful things. There are both exciting traditions and really difficult transitions. There are both the image we wanna portray that everything's ideal and perfect and things are really hard. And we're both blessed because of this time, but we're also stressed. And it's this tension that we live in that causes us to then feel like, okay, well, we have to pretend everything's fine. So then we don't acknowledge when things aren't. And yet Christmas shows us of all the times of the year that when God looks down and says things in our world weren't fine. That there was darkness, and in the darkness they've seen a great light, as Isaiah 9's prophecy talked about, that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty Father, Prince of Peace, and um, the last one, too, which is really important. So, um, mighty God, thank you. So, uh, recognizing that it's just this, this whole idea of how we, We see that things weren't fine then, and Jesus came in to this world, to a not-fine world, in a not-fine place, in a not-fine manger, in the not-fine city of Bethlehem, and yet he came to change it and to give us hope, to give us peace, to give us love, and as we're gonna discuss today, to give us joy. And so we're looking at both the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, but today we're gonna unpack this idea of both traditions and transitions, and what it looks like to have joy in both of those circumstances. And so I'm going to ask you to uh, enter into a word of prayer with me, and then we will um, unpack this passage again, Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 38. But will you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each person who's part of our service today, whether that's live in person, live online, or watching or listening later. God, I thank you that each person who, um, who hears my voice is someone who is loved by you. Lord God, you created them, you love them, you shaped them, you molded them. Jesus, you laid down your life for them, that you came and lived a perfect life, laid down that life, and was raised back to new life so that each person who hears my voice could have a relationship with God the Father through you. And Holy Spirit, you are knocking on the doors of our hearts. You are working in us and you are bringing us into um, the awareness of uh, your word and of Christ's likeness. So God, I pray that you would help us to hear your voice and to receive what you have for us today. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. Lord, we love you. And God, I pray that no matter what we're feeling today, highs or lows, ups and downs or ebbs and flows, God, may we leave this service with an overwhelming sense of your joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we talk about both traditions and transitions today. And when we think about Christmas, there are some of us, you know, we may have, (coughs) excuse me, very specific Traditions that we have coming into this year. So in our family, we typically will start decorating the Christmas tree Usually it's on Black Friday. We didn't get to that uh, this year quite so early But usually we start listening to Christmas music that same time Usually we have a a little calendar that has like a star attached to it that the girls will um, It starts on December 1st. And so you just kind of move the star every day closer to the 25th we also have um, advent calendars with chocolate advent calendars from Trader Joe's. I've yet to find one that just has like red meat, so I don't get an advent calendar. It's fine. But uh, it's recognizing, you know, you're building up towards Christmas and remembering, uh, getting ready for that. We have traditions of on the 12, with 12 days of Christmas leading up to Christmas, uh, Steph's family had a song that they would sing together. It's like on the 12th day of Christmas, the whole song, but it was sharing the gospel story rather than talking about Lord's a and. Geese, geese I don't know. So it's acknowledging, it's telling the gospel story through that song. And so they sang it growing up. So we sing it as our kids are growing up. And we have little um, ornaments for the 12 names of Jesus that we coincide with that. And we have a small tree. So we have certain traditions. And so when we have the time of year where we're opening up our Christmas stuff out of the garage, it's those moments of Remembering, oh, remember when we would do this, and oh, remember this ornament that I made, you know, the girls sharing when they've made it, or oh, can we put the Christmas tree like this, or can we do that? And it's these traditions, and these traditions are beautiful. They're great, because they help anchor us that even when things, there are transitions, even things change in our world, in our lives, we can still hold fast to our traditions. So when there's a pandemic going on, and we're not out and about, we're still able to sing the same songs. We're still able to eat the same meals. For us, since Shalem was born, we've lived in four different homes. But in those homes, we could still sing the same songs. We could still have the same traditions. So that things might be changing around us, but traditions can help anchor us. And so these are good things. And yet, in, in the vein of our Both and series, we recognize that there can be good things in this season that are also on the other side of the coin can be very difficult things. That we acknowledge that you know, there are different times when transitions take place and your traditions don't get to go the way that they used to. I remember when um, Steph was, well Shaylin was just over a year now, and at the time we decided not to get an actual Christmas tree in our living room because uh, we didn't want her to you know, risk pulling things or we didn't know how she was gonna respond to it, so we didn't have it that year. and. Um, I remember that it wasn't until we decided not to have it that I realized how much I missed Christmas trees. I remember growing up, be, uh, there was a year when I wanted to surprise my mom and I went down to the Christmas tree farm and I picked the tree, I got it all set up, I put it in the back of my 1989 Honda Accord, so it did not fit by any stretch of the imagination. I remember driving home, going to the back shed, setting up the lights, setting up the ornaments, setting it up so that when she got home from grad school and I was sitting on the couch, she could be able to see the Christmas tree all lit up. And I'm like, I loved that moment. I love being able to, when we have our Christmas tree, even now, I love being able to, like, look at it. This is so weird. This is so specific. But even in this moment, I love this moment where. I can see Christmas tree lights reflected off of something else. It's so weird. But, like, I look at the, Christmas, the, t- the TV here, and I see those lights. I'm like, I just love it. Like, we would see, like, Christmas tree that would be reflected off of, um, you know, when, when we were married, we would have, we're still married. When we were younger, we would, have, um, uh, we would have these lights where it's like it would reflect off the pantry. And I remember just thinking, oh, I love that look of the Christmas tree lights in our home. But this year we decided not to have them, you know, when Shaylin was one and we didn't want her. So I remember just being really bummed about it and just like, okay, like things change. And then I remember uh, one night, I believe I had a meeting at my previous church, got home late. And when I came home, Steph had bought just like a one foot tree and had bought like these tiny ornaments and it lit up. And I was just, I don't know what shone brighter, the tree or my face. Like I was just so excited, but it was the idea of like, could you imagine if like, well, that's not our tradition. We need to have something a very specific way. But instead, it's acknowledging that sometimes our traditions, they help anchor us. But the problem with a tradition that helps anchor us is that if we make the tradition the main thing, it doesn't anchor us and hold us fast to God if we're careful or if we're not careful, excuse me. The traditions can anchor us from going or trusting and living the life God has for us. What do I mean by that? If we place in this season, if this past week, I wasn't feeling well. I didn't, like, I was excited for the Christmas tree decorating day, but it was a transition because I like to be the one that decorated it. And as the kids are growing up, now my job is pulling out the ornaments and then they grab it and they put it up. And that's awesome. That's great. But I wasn't feeling well. I'm like, I just don't feel joy. Like, I'm not excited about Christmas tree decorating day this year. I'm not, it just wasn't the same thing. And yet... Could you imagine if I was like, hey, because I'm not happy with how my tradition's working out this year, I'm gonna make it miserable for everybody else. Like, you have to watch me do this and you have to make sure that everyone just sing Christmas carols and drink cocoa and be happy. You know, like it's, that's not how traditions are going to be able to encourage and be uplifting. All this to say, some of you are in experience where you're feeling a loss right now. You're not feeling great about Christmas. And there is a book I read uh, from Noelle Piper, who is John Piper's wife. She wrote a book about traditions. And she writes this because a a mom had reached out to her. and The mom had a young child, and the young child had a big health scare. Did survive, but had a big health scare. But the mom wrote to the author saying, I don't feel Christmas this year. I don't feel joy. Here's how Noelle responds. It's not at all surprising that Christmas is hard for you this year, The reason for Christmas is the same as it ever was, and nothing is more essential to our lives than the incarnation. That's vital, right? Like, it's saying, this is most important, that Jesus came fully God and became fully man as a baby in a manger. What's different for you, I expect, is that the traditions we wrap around December 25th, to make it different from other days, those traditions and activities are as nothing to you this year. In fact, the thought of them probably weighs like a lump of lead in your belly. So what? Trees are nothing, feasts are nothing, lights are nothing, music is nothing. Only Christ matters. Now, are traditions bad? No, are feasts bad, lights bad? No, 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 no. But traditions, things are not as important as people. Traditions, like giving gifts, we do that to remind us of the ultimate gift we receive in Jesus. When we, when you and I, when we allow our traditions to become so important to us that it causes us to lose sight of faith in God, relationship with him, or people around us, then we're missing the boat and we're we're putting more stock in how our Christmas tree looks than how our family loves one another. Or we're more worried about the gifts that we get rather than caring about the people for whom we get them because we're just getting them out of compulsion or because we have to. If the traditions become just a have to rather than a point to God, but they become a have to do, then we're going to miss out on the joy that comes in this year. So let's unpack this. We've got a, a little bit of time together. Matthew chapter 12. When we don't have joy, if you're feeling this experience when you're not feeling joy right now, and many of us are in this. But if you don't have joy, we may fall into this idea of valuing a proof over a relationship. What I mean by that is that we may fall into the idea of wanting, we don't feel joy. And so when other people are experiencing joy, we may decide we may think of things like, well, why are you excited? Like, why are you happy? How could you possibly be happy? Like, what's the proof for the reason that you have any joy right now? And what ends up happening is that we're missing out on the fact that When we have joy, our joy is not contingent upon our circumstances. If I'm having a good day or a bad day, joy does not ebb and flow like the tides. It does not go up and down like a roller coaster. Our joy is in the character and the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So our joy does not change. Hebrews 13 says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he stays the same. And if we lean into him, our joy can stay the same. Even when sorrow comes like sea billows roll, or even when we experience despair and darkness and difficulty, we can still have joy, because joy is found in Jesus. Now, here's what we're looking at here with this point. The context of this story in Matthew chapter 12 is the idea that Jesus had just exercised or, or removed a demon and earlier in the chapter, and... The Pharisees, who are filled with traditions, they have extremely religious traditions going back thousands of years, but they don't have a joy of the relationship with God anymore. They're just doing what they're supposed to be doing because they're supposed to be doing it. And so they look and they see Jesus, who's doing something untraditional, He's talking about love for the poor. He's talking about being able to find the kingdom of heaven is here. He's not talking about a Messiah that he would come to be able to rule Israel. He's talking about a kingdom of heaven that's going to change everything. He's not in line with their traditions. And so when he comes up and he exercises a demon and he removes that, then they say, well, how do we know you're not from the devil himself? Then he goes into this whole section where he talks about how well, how can a divided kingdom cannot stand? Like, he, he's like, you, what, what are you talking about? They're missing the point. And then here's what happens. Verse 38 after this says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, let me stop here for a second. There are times when God speaks to us in very clear ways. And there are times when we are receptive. God will give us signs of what to do and what not to do. So I'm not devaluing the, the way that God works and the way that God speaks. But we have to understand the heart of the Pharisees in this. They say, we want to see a sign. But remember, they had just seen one. And it did not change the way that they perceived Jesus. Some of us, we are in a place where we want to hear from God. We say, God, give us a sign. And he may or may not give us a sign when we ask for it. But he will know whether we are in a place to receive it and be in the place to act upon it. Because there are others of us or people we know and love who they say will prove that God is real. And there's nothing you could say that would actually change their mind. They just want to be able to Say, well, you can't prove it, therefore I'm justified in not believing. And they wouldn't say it like that. We wouldn't say it like that. But the idea is, they say prove it, but nothing you say would be able to actually do so in their eyes. So Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a sign if I know it's not going to change your heart. If you value the proof of who I am over the potential of a relationship with me, you're completely missing why I'm here. There's a book uh, that if you're, especially if you're feeling in a difficult season with God, I want to encourage you to read, uh, I read it years ago from Philip Yancey called Disappointment with God. And he talks about different reasons why we often get disappointed with him. Things like unfairness, things like we feel like God is silent, and things that we feel like God is hidden from us. We can't find him. And at his point when he's talking about the hiddenness of God, he ends up sharing about how there are times that we, we want God to just show up. Like we want to be able to see God. If Jesus walked through those doors and said, I'm here and here's what we, you should do, we'd be like, awesome, Jesus, we will do what you tell us to do. And so he echoes this point or he paints this point when he says this. We want proof, evidence, a personal appearance so that the God we have heard about becomes the God we see." It's not wrong to want to have a personal experience with God. It's not wrong to be able to feel him and know him. Job, when he was going through his suffering, by the end of it, he said, my eyes or my ears had heard of you, and now my eyes have seen you. I know my Redeemer lives. So it's not wrong to want a sign or to want proof. But the problem is, is, will we receive it? Are our hearts so hardened like Pharisees that it doesn't matter what Jesus does, we would say, well, that's not proof enough. So Philip Yancey, he talks about this, and he paints the picture of what happens in, with the lives of the Israelites when they wanted a sign. He continues this right here. He says, some Christians long for a world well-stocked with miracles and spectacular signs of God's presence. For those of us who know and love Jesus, and we want our, those we know and love most to know and love Jesus, we might say, God, can you just show up to them? Jesus, show up in their bedroom and show them who you are because we want them to come and know you. And so we want to see these presents, these signs, these miraculous things happening all the time. But here's what he says in this dot, dot, dot section. Then he says, but the follow the dots journey of the Israelites should give us pause. He says, would a burst of miracles nourish faith? Not the kind of faith God seems interested in, evidently. The Israelites give ample proof that signs may only addict us to signs, not to God. The Israelites, so he's in that section, he's sharing stories about how the Israelites, imagine this generation that you're in Egypt, and all of a sudden, Moses comes, and you get to see these 10 different plagues that show God's absolute sovereignty and control and power over the Egyptian gods and goddesses and the Pharaoh. And then not, even, not only that then, You get free, and you never thought that would happen. Then you get to go, and you see the Red Sea parting, and you walking across it. You see all these miraculous things. In fact, then you see that you were led every morning by a pillar of cloud by day, and then there's a pillar of cloud by night that shows God's presence with his people. He talks about, Philippians, he says, there were no atheists in this time within the Israelite community. Because all they would have to do was open up their eyes every single morning and they would see a tangible proof and sign of God's presence among them. And what he says alarmed him. He says, as I looked at it, I realized that as I'm looking at the following, the dot-to-dot journey of the Israelites, overt signs did not point people to worship and loving God. It pointed them to open rebellion that after there was the time of uh, Exodus 14, when they crossed the, the water of the Red Sea, Exodus 15, there's a song of great joy that we saw in the video. By Exodus 16, they're already grumbling about not having something that they wanted in, in, um, in Egypt. They're already wanting to go back. Signs get us addicted to signs, not to God. When I was in youth ministry, we would put on these big events. There'd be hundreds of high schoolers. Uh, we were in an area where there's a lot of high schools nearby. And we always talked about, though, how this idea of what you win someone with is what you win them to. If you, so let me give an example. If we were to go and say, hey, if you want to come to church, we're going to have food trucks. There's going to be pizza. There's going to be games. There's going to be a movie. There's going to be all these activities, and you have a raffle that you could win $100, like whatever it is. And then we get all these people come, and we say, we've got a bunch of great people here, and this is a great night. And then the next week, people show up, and there's no pizza, there's no food trucks, there's no movie, there's no raffle, there's no games. Then they would look and say, well, that's what we were expecting. We were expecting you to be able to do what, you've, what you did before when we first came. When we would go to uh, lunch, uh, we would go to uh, Christian clubs in high schools, and we would bring pizza one day, and there'd be a bunch of students who'd come and hear us preach, and I thought it was, you know, meat, but it was pizza. And the next time we go, there's no pizza. There's, no, there's fewer students. What you win someone with, you win someone to. And God says, I don't want to win you with signs so that you only want to have signs. I want to win you to me, so that even when signs are absent, you still love me. It's not valuing proof over relationship. It's acknowledging that if we have signs but no God, we are empty. But if we have God with no signs, we're still okay. So he continues on, Jesus continues on when he says about this in verse 40, and I'm If you've been with us the past couple of weeks, you'll notice, or this is where we hit that pattern that we've talked about, where the four weeks we're studying are passages where it says with the word as, for as something in the Old Testament happened, so Jesus fulfills it. And this is a a, a pattern that we've been studying over the past couple of weeks. And here's the verse that points us to it. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So just before this, he said, you're going to receive the sign of Jonah. That's the only sign. That the wicked and adulterous generation asks for signs all the time. So I'm not going to give it to you except for the sign of Jonah. And what is the sign of Jonah? It's this idea that Jonah, who was a prophet, who was three days in the fish, in the belly of a fish, ended up coming back out of the fish and fulfilling the ministry God's called him to do. And he's saying, in that same way that Jonah was in the belly of a fish, So I will be in the heart of the earth. So I will be dead and buried for three days. And then I will come back out. I will be resurrected and brought back to life. And then we get to experience Jesus' mission and ministry forever. So I want to give a couple of quick things. The first one, three days and three nights. Um, This is something that we also see when you look at... um, not so much with Christmas, but with Easter, and you look at Holy Week, and you think, well, Jesus died on Good Friday afternoon, and then there's Saturday, and there's Sunday, but it wasn't fully three days and three nights. It feels a little um, incongruous or a little inaccurate to say so, but what we recognize here is that Craig Blomberg, in his commentary, talks about this. It says, if we go to the next slide, please, this says, three days and three nights represents a Semitic idiom, so a Jewish saying, for any portion of three calendar days. So there's no need to see a contradiction with the traditional Holy Week. Let's go to the next slide, please. Chronology, including a Friday crucifixion and Sunday resurrection, or to propose any alternative chronologies. In other words, it's saying this. It's saying that it, it was just a Jewish saying to say three days and three nights, that I, that the belly of the fish. And it just meant it could be any portion of Friday, Saturday, and any portion of Sunday. So we don't need to rearrange that, and we don't need to think that Jesus is not being accurate here because he's using a Semitic idiom or a Jewish saying that everyone there would have been able to acknowledge. But we also need to um, look here at the fact that um, when we look at not just valuing proof over relationship, but when we lose our joy, we will, may value our traditions over people. We may value traditions Over people, Like I said, people are more important than things. My family loving God and loving Jesus is more important than me decorating the Christmas tree. And it sounds silly to say it with that, you know, at this moment, but so many times we have traditions that we don't, that that we keep, and they're important. And again, they're valuable, and I love them. But traditions ought to anchor us to God, not to anchor us to keep us from God by buying into our traditions. So let's look here. Continuing on in verse 41, we're going to look at two points that Jesus says here. The first one is this. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. So if you, let me give a very quick idea or reminder of the story of Jonah. Because Jonah, in Jonah 1, was called to go to Nineveh, and I highlighted it there. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians are the ones in 722 B.C., that conquered the 10 northern tribes of Israel. So remember that the two tribes split into the north, which was Israel, and the south, which was Judah. The northern tribes of Israel were overtaken by the Assyrians. The Jewish people hate the Assyrians. In fact, the reason why Samaritans were looked so down upon in Jesus's day was because the Samaritans were the byproducts of Jewish people who had intermarried with the Assyrians. And so, in the mindset of Jewish people who are purely Jewish people, they said, you can't, because you're a mixed of Jewish and Assyrian, you're Samaritan, you're less than. The Assyrians were thought of really negatively. And so the men of Nineveh, Nineveh was a place that was their capital. Now, I, there's some kids here, so I, I won't use some of the quotes that I wanted to use that showed the brutality and gave descriptors of how cruel the Ninevites were to conquering armies and conquering people groups. But I will give this quotation that um, emphasizes this, that archaeology confirms the biblical witness to the wickedness of the Assyrians. They were well known in the ancient world for brutality and cruelty, and those dot dot dots is uh, what I wanted to remove there. Jonah's reluctance to travel to Nineveh may have been due to its infamous violence. It's the idea of saying, wherever you might think right now is the most dangerous place in the world. And God says, I want you to go there. And you think, well, God, I don't want them to even come to know you because they're so far, they're so bad, whatever that might be. God says, that's who I want you to go to. And just let them know, preach to them, and let them know that their wickedness has been made aware to me, and I want them to repent. Jonah immediately decides that he does not want to obey God. So we have a map here because sometimes it's hard for me, at least to know the map and the scale of what Jonah was after. Jonah says that he went to Joppa, where he was called to go to Nineveh, which is 550 miles from where he was. But instead, he goes to Joppa and he goes on a boat to Tarshish, which is 2,500 miles away. It's not like he just decided, hey, instead of going to Los Angeles, I'm going to Tijuana. Like he decided he wants to go the exact opposite direction really, really, really far. So to give an example, um, I looked at like what cities are kind of like 500 miles about and 2,000 miles here. And so let's say I'm Jonah. And instead of being here, called to Nineveh, let's say I'm called to Williams, Arizona. If you guys have ever gone to the Grand Canyon, Williams, Arizona is a place that has a train that drives there. um, And that's a place that Steph and I had stayed and went to the train. It was great. About 490, almost 500 miles northeast of where we are now. If God were to say, go to Williams, Arizona, and I say, no, the equivalent would be me getting a boat all the way to Hawaii. It's 2,000 miles in the exact opposite direction. And so it's saying this, sometimes when we value our traditions over people, We disregard the mission that God has given us. We disregard the call to go into all the nations and to teach them everything that God has commanded them and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I will be with you. Jesus says, I will be with you even to the end of the age. We disregard his commission for us. And if we're like Jonah, it's because we don't want anything to do with people that we think are awful and are beneath God's grace. And sometimes, friends, when we rebel, Sometimes you and I, when we rebel, we don't just rebel a little bit. Sometimes we rebel and we go in the exact opposite direction, as far and as fast away from God as we can. So on his journey, he only got to about here, give or take. And that's when he got swallowed by the big fish, that there was a storm and the people threw end up throwing him off of the over the edge of the boat because they realized he's the reason why the storm was coming. And so the big fish swallows him up and th- this is so uh, not super important right now, but I want to just give you an idea of how much this sermon has just been like permeating in my brain over the past couple of days because I, um, I don't know if you guys get like NyQuil dreams sometimes. And so they're just a little bit more vivid than others. And I remember the other night I was having a dream and I woke up because I was having a dream that some friends and I were walking uh, by a beach and there was like a little like walkway and then there was like just big ocean on this side. And so, these people were walking by and a friend that was nearby was like, oh my gosh, watch out. And under here, the water very slowly came this just huge, huge fish and was like trying to like very slowly try to get to the people. And so the people were running and they're trying to get past it. And then I just see this little boy walks up and he looks at it and he just jumps right in and gets swallowed. <laughs> and I was like, what do we do? Like, what do I have to, what, what's happening right now? And like, did you, did you see that? Like what's happening then I woke up. It was awful. So um, my permeating mind is like, I'm like, why was I thinking about a creepy fish swallowing up Jonah? Thanks, Jonah. So Jonah ends up getting swallowed by the fish. He He prays to God in the midst of it after three days and three nights. He gets vomited out, and then he finally goes to Nineveh. And he preaches to Nineveh, and he doesn't want them to repent. But God says, I'm calling you to go there because there are people who are far from me. And even if you don't like them, even if you don't agree with them, even if they are the worst in your mind, there are still people who are far from me who need to know me. Timothy Keller in his book, The Prodigal Prophet, talks about it this way. He says, when God is arguing about why he should be deeply concerned for Nineveh, he cites its population figure as a reason for the city's significance to him. And he uses the term Adam, the word for humankind uses the word 120,000 adam or 120,000 of humanity. Let's go to the next slide, please. It is as if God was saying, I care about human beings, and, and so how much more should I be concerned to reach a place where so much of humanity is amassed? In other words, God doesn't love or not love people based on our traditions or what we think. God loves people, and he calls them to repent, to change their lives in order to come to him, to see that he is God and they are not. But friends, if you and I start putting traditions or people, or excuse me, traditions over people, or if we start thinking that we can't love people who are different than us or believe different things or think different things, then how are we any better than Jonah? When God says, go and reach the world, and we say, no, we may as well be booking a a cruise from Joppa to Tarshish. So, we don't want to, we want to make sure that we're not putting proof over a relationship, over faith. We don't want to put our, um, we don't want to put proof over that. We also don't want to put traditions over people. But lastly, when we lose our joy, we want to make sure that we are able to not miss out on something greater than what this world has to offer. We don't want to miss out on something greater. The second part of verse 41 says it this way. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with his generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is saying this. He's saying those people that you think are awful, they repented with a lesser profit than who's right here in front of you. They were someone, they repented and came to God because of a prophet who didn't want to go to them, smelled like fish, didn't have any desire to actually see them repent, and took no joy in the fact that they did so. Jonah, you know what's missing at the end of when a city of 120,000 people repent and follow God? Do you know what he's lacking by being used by God in this incredible way? He's lacking joy. He's bitter. He's angry. He thinks that, God, how could you have done this? Jonah 4.2 is one of the best verses out of context because it says, God, I knew that you are slow in anger and abounding in love. And when we read that out of context, it's like, that is such a sweet affirmation of who God is. When Jonah's writing it, it's not an affirmation. It's an accusation against him. He's saying, I knew you would forgive these people I don't like. I knew you would do that. And how could you? And it's this idea of acknowledging that God, he's slow in anger, and he's abounding in love, and he shows grace. And yes, he does. But what we need to remember is that Jonah didn't want them to be saved, but Jesus came so that you and I would be. Jonah fled when God told them to go to a place that was dark and evil. Jesus left heaven and the comforts of heaven to the rags of a manger to come to a world that was dark and evil. That Isaiah 9, when there was the prophecy, when talking about how there had been darkness and they've seen a great light, and it was talking about Jesus who would come. and his name, would be wonderful counselor, everlasting father, almighty God, and prince of peace. Jesus is the light in the darkness. Jesus didn't run away from his calling. He ran to it. In fact, Timothy Keller unpacks it even a little bit further when he says, Jesus is the prophet Jonah should have been. Yet, of course, he's infinitely more than that. But Jesus did not merely weep for us. He died for us. Jonah went outside the city. In Jonah 3, he goes outside the city to see, oh, are they going to repent? And he's upset about it. But Jesus Christ went outside the city to die on a cross to accomplish its salvation. He Je- Jesus had to go outside of Jerusalem to die on Golgotha, on the, the place of the skull, on a mountain that was outside of the city because the crucifixions could not happen within the city walls. Friends, if we miss out on our joy, and if we get so caught up in our traditions that we miss out on what God has for you today, you might be in a place where you are feeling like, I don't feel, I don't feel like Christmas like the letter we heard earlier. That's okay. It's okay not to feel like Christmas every single year. We don't get to determine how we are, but whether you feel the highs and excitement of the season, whether you feel the lows and discouragement of the season, whether you're experiencing great ex- or just excitement or pain, our joy can stay the same, why? Friends, one of the greatest traditions we have is we give gifts to one another for Christmas. And the reason we do that has to be to remind us, not that gifts are the point, but we give gifts to remind us of the point of Jesus as our gift. So when we make the tradition, the gift giving, the main thing, then we're missing out on something greater, which is the gift of joy and love, and hope, and peace, and salvation, and purpose that can come with a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no gift that you are going to receive this Christmas season that is going to last longer, mean more, or have a greater impact on your life than the gift of Jesus Christ in a manger thousands of years ago. The clothes that you're going to get will wear out. If you watch the, the car commercials when it's like, they give like a huge oversized bow with a car for Christmas and like, who does that? And also, can I know you? And also, you probably didn't communicate very well with your wife if you just decided to spend like 50 grand on a car and didn't talk to her about it. So there's things to discuss. Um, but those car payments will come, the joy will, uh, will lessen quite a bit. Whatever piece, like whatever phone, whatever toy, like it's all gonna be, it's all gonna fade with technology at some point. What gift never gets old? What gift can you never outgrow? What gift will never wear out? A relationship with Jesus. And that, my friends, is a gift that I hope especially in this season will fill you with hope, peace, love, and ultimately, for the sake of our discussion today, joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today, Lord whether, um, Lord. whether it's live online, whether it's live in person, whether they're watching or listening later, whether it's their very first time, whether they've been here for decades, God, I pray that your message of joy would reach us, God. I pray that in this Christmas season we would not allow our traditions to um, become more important to us than lost people or traditions to become more important to us than the people that we love nearby. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't ask for proof of things as much as we would live in faith and relationship with you. And I pray, Lord, that in the midst of the craziness, the busyness, the stress, the, the um, heartache, and the transitions that we experience in a season like this, God, I pray that we would be able to um, catch hold of the something greater, the someone greater. That is the reason for this season, and that's you, Jesus. And we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love for us. And thank you for the joy you give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.